Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. So we're in the series we've been calling Voice, and it's, it's about putting ourselves in position to actually hear the voice of God, so much so that it affects our own voice. Our own voice begins to change. We, we, we sound less pessimistic. We sound less negative or passionate about what's wrong with Washington, D.C., and more hope starts coming out of our mouths, and more trust about a future that looks different. Because we're encountering the actual voice of God. Now, I'm going to start right out of the gate here with a, a, a text in Ephesians 1. That if, if, if you're like me the way I grew up in church, this is going to be a yawner. This is like yawn fest material. Okay, You're going to read this. You're going to hear churchy words. You're going to hear something that just sounds like something Paul would say. And it just doesn't really make any difference on anything. Okay? So how's that for, like, really drawing you into the scripture? About ten of us have been studying Ephesians on Wednesday nights. It's been our Ephesians lab. We're, we're just past the halfway point of this study. And we spend some time talking about this. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When I read this for the first 30 times in my life, I was just like, uh, churchy language to just say I'm kind of starting a book of the Bible. Uh, I think that's what this is. The word blessing, that Christ has blessed us. The letter is written to an early church, the church at Ephesus. And Paul is revealing a great mystery that followers of Jesus haven't quite learned yet, which is you, followers of Jesus are the astonishing movement and reality of God in our world. Church at Ephesus, if you think that God's going to just do magic all over the world in his own power and just lead people to him, no, the compelling evidence of God's reality is going to be you, followers of Jesus. That's what this letter is about. That's the mystery that's revealed in, in Ephesians. And so we're told at the very beginning, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, followers of Jesus, in, in, spirit, in the spiritual space, not just with a house or car, you know, how you think of blessings. There is a spiritual blessing. And again, the word blessings what always used to trip me up here because it just sounds like a church. We're going to define, we're going to look at what the word bless actually means. And he's, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he goes on to explain in the letter, which we're not going to look at today, this means you have remarkable power to love broken people and to tell your story in a way where God's spirit will actually do the heart change. He's actually going to change the hearts of your friends or neighbors. But as you engage, you're going to see God use you in remarkable ways. You're going to walk in a power and a confidence about the truth and good of God, okay? So Amy, uh, like me, grew up in Winchester, Virginia, an hour west of here. And when I was dating her, I'd hear her say this statement so much, and she still does to this day, and I love it about her. And you don't hear it as much here in Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia is a lot, a lot more like Boston or New York, whereas Winchester, an hour from here, is a lot more like the rest of Virginia or the South. And so it was common in Winchester to hear, bless your heart. And Amy does this. She'll go, oh, bless your heart. And sometimes we say, God bless you. 
when people sneeze. We have no idea why we do that. We don't even know what we're saying when we say that. It's just, it's just kind of a cultural thing. Oh, okay. Well, somebody knows. We say the word bless or blessing in a lot of different contexts, mostly related to church. And I would, I would say, unlike our friend here in the back, most people, most people don't actually know what it means. And Amy would say, bless your heart when she hears something sad or she feels heartbroken for someone or she's expressing empathy. She would say, oh, bless your heart. So when we read something like this, which we're going to see, we're going to see this word a lot here in the next few minutes. When we read the word blessing in scripture, it's like churchy word. When actually, I'll, I'll define it in a moment. Let me, let me read the next portion as our setup. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is another context I want to give you. It's just a precursor here. Jesus is being criticized again by the religious leaders. These are sort of the pastors of the day, the Pharisees. They're the experts in the Old Testament law, and they, they are trying to discredit Jesus as somehow being from God, let alone the Messiah. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat? You claim that he's from God, you're following him because you think he's the Messiah? Well, then why does he eat with despicable people? In Luke, Luke's account of this story, the word notorious is used. They, they challenge the Pharisees, the religious leaders challenge the disciples. Why then does he spend so much of his time eating with notorious sinners? Did Jesus believe the world was broken? Absolutely. Did he believe that people find wholeness, completeness in him? Absolutely. But his approach was not to run around the world yelling, you are broken and you're damned if you don't. His approach was to relate to people where they were. He spent time with them, ate a lot of meals with outsiders, loved them. Got to know them in their need, in their emptiness, their loss, their anger, their, their hurt. And this is love. This is what love looks like. God's early strategy to rescue people, uh, it, it precedes Jesus, actually. We see it in the story of Abraham and then playing out through Moses. And so this is where we're going to define the word bless. Bless. Because we're going to see it here again in the first chapter of Scripture, Genesis 1. Then God said, now hang with me, if this seems disjointed, like where's Brad headed? I'm going to tie this together here. Stay with me. This is the beginning, this is the creation story. God says, let us make mankind in our image, humankind in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the... This is not an authoritarian kind of rule. We hear rule in English and think, ooh, this is a creative rule. This is human beings are different from anything else in creation. And they're going to have this creative, beautiful oversight of all of creation. Over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is one of the many places, by the way, where God's intention was always equality between men and women. 
And this is debated in churches, and we respect other views, but we believe God, before humans broke the earth, before we broke creation in our selfishness, God created male and female to be the image of God in the world. That's just the sidebar. And then God's voice speaks to humans for the first time. The very first words of God to humans... In verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish. Again, creatively rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over all living creatures. So as God speaks to humans the first time, he blesses them. Now, again, we hear that word blessing and we're like generic church word. But what bless means in the Hebrew language It's the word barak. Barak is the Hebrew word. It's repeated so many times in in, in Scripture. I mean, I I should know the number actually more than 100 times. It's so used by God in Scripture. And barak means this. It doesn't mean just generically like, uh, may heaven sort of smile upon you today. Or I'm pronouncing you religiously important. That's not what bless meant. Bless meant to offer a present or gift while kneeling. Now, when you say, God bless you, or Amy, when you say, oh, bless your heart, I don't think we're thinking that. But the word means to offer a present or gift while kneeling. It's amazing how Hebrew, the Hebrew language, unlike English, the Hebrew language, one word can emote feeling, create a picture This one word, when people in the Hebrew language spoke it, they understood the picture. It is a deeply respectful gift-giving when you bless someone. And God blesses humans. And the result of being blessed by God, isn't that an amazing picture? God so wants to gift us. He kneels to offer us. Now be fruitful. And go in the world and create life. And oversee it with creative beauty. The result of being blessed is always joy. Joy that so fills a person it overflows. And what's, what's inherent in that, that understanding is that it spills over to other people. When you are blessed by God, the result of the gift that he kneels to give you. And if you say, God kneels? Yeah, we know from Philippians chapter 2, Jesus knelt and went all the way down to the cross. This is what Paul tells us. He lowered himself all the way as far as he could lower himself by dying for us on the cross. To give us. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave. It's very intentional, this language, that God blesses us by kneeling to say, humans... My purpose for you is to flourish with life, life that is my image in you. And that everything you touch and every word you speak will just promote and propel my, lo- my, my, my nature, my image further. And the result of being blessed is that you are given so much joy that it, it overflows to others. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to be part of that? Like, okay, God, I never cared about being blessed, but I kind of want to be blessed now. 
I mean, yeah. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, go out into all the world with this creative image of me in you defining every part of your life. Then humans wrecked it all. We forfeited this blessing by wanting to be God. So we took control selfishly and had no idea that it would break the universe. We would have cataclysmic events and diseases and aging and death and having to say goodbye to loved ones and murder and envy and all of this resulted. Political division, racial divide, all of this was a result of us saying, no, we want to be God. And so 12 chapters later, God's rescue plan begins to be revealed that God wants to get us back. And this is what is revealed in Ephesians. Ephesians is Paul's letter to the early church to say God's original plan is still his plan. And the mystery to the church is you now. You are now going to walk out the blessing to all nations, to all people. You are going to be blessed as followers of Jesus and you are going to life give to people who desperately need the reality of Jesus. And the rescue plan begins in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Abram was the first person to recognize God and to crave God. God, creator, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to please you. And God said, okay, you're who I'm looking for. I'm going to call out of you a people from your descendants who will be a great blessing. Now, it's interesting. Go from your country to a new land. This is Garden of Eden language. God is already moving us toward the Garden of Eden again. And that's ultimately what the New Testament tells us, that God is going to bring the new heavens and new earth in its imagery that looks like the garden. Now, if the garden seems boring to you, like we're just standing in a jungle, uh, the garden was the central point of all life flowing out of humans that was so beautiful it just radiates the image of God. And, you know, we could debate and argue today whether if we had never sinned, if we had never taken control, would the Garden of Eden now be all throughout our solar system? Would we be traversing the solar system in the creative beauty of God and power of God? You know, it's just. So already God is thinking about this land, this new, the beautiful. I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A lot of times, depending on how you grew up in church or if you did, it's easy to think, well, the Israelites were God's favorites. God just had favorites, and he damned all the other nations. Actually, the call of Israel, Abraham's descendants would become the nation Israel. The calling on Israel was to be so blessed with the nature and love and beauty of God that they would extend his reality and blessing to every nation. To all the earth. Chapter 22. We continue through the story. Ten chapters later. God said to Abraham. Because you have done this. And not withheld your son. Your only son Isaac. This seems like this morbid story. Where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. I've talked to so many people. Who've told me that they got 22 chapters in the Bible. Read this. And they're like I'm out. This is super morbid. 
God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And again, when you become a student of Scripture, and if you patiently settle in to say, God, this confuses me, help me understand, you will, the Spirit of God in you will lead you to the point where you realize, oh, God is giving us a picture of the morbid that he would do for us. When he sees the faith of Abraham, he says, Abraham, you're even willing to sacrifice your son Isaac? Okay, stop. Stop. No, here's the ram. Sacrifice the ram instead for the sins of the people. No, actually, through Isaac, we'll become this great nation. And you're like, what? God is giving us a taste of what he would choose to do when he, when he would offer us his son, when he would present, when he would bless us with the chance of life, creative, overflowing joy, the nature of God, burgeoning life coming out of us again by offering us the present of his son. And so Abraham has said, this is kind of messed up. You're asking me to sacrifice my son, but I love you so much. I'm so... And so Abraham starts to move towards the altar with the son, and God stops him. Because you've done this, I will surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Here it is again. It's just, it's unmistakable. This theme, God is taking broken humans who've chosen selfishly and he is not moving away. He's not compromising or capitulating from his plan. I will see human beings blessed again, full of my life and full of my nature. Now, the tragic story of Israel is that Israel went through different generations who were committed to God, but then a generation that would take selfishly again, and they would want to be God, and this is the cycle. And eventually, Jesus would become the embodiment of Israel and would fulfill the calling. He would actually be the blessing to all nations, and that's part of what Paul's revealing in Ephesians. And those of us who choose to follow Jesus, we, we get the greatest privilege, most compelling life on earth to walk out the image and blessing of God through us to our hurting, broken world. But I want to just, I want to stay in the Old Testament in Exodus when we get to Exodus chapter 3, and I want to just kind of, I want to reveal God's heart here in what he's doing, he's so committed to this rescue plan with each generation, each generation, selfishness, he, he forgives. And then he calls again, I want to bless you, and I'm going to use you to be a blessing. And then the next generation will fail, and he'll be patient and forgive. In Exodus chapter 3, we see something of the heart of God in being the rescuer back to his purpose of blessing. And I think a lot of people today in our world don't hear the voice of God. We don't encounter, experience the voice of God often or regularly or consistently, or we, maybe we do, but then we get discouraged because, man, it's been months since I feel like I've heard God. Because I don't, I don't believe we have a proper understanding of the heart or voice of God in the story of God in Scripture. I think a lot of times we see God as an angry judge. And yeah, you're welcome in our church if you behave like us. Or we have some kind of like, God can't welcome me because of what I've done. 
God, God knows what was 10 years ago. He knows the decision I made. He can't use. And so because of that logic, because we think that's the voice of God, it, it, it's like closing the window or the door to God. We're, 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 we're just closing him out because we have this preconceived, well, this is who God is. And when we actually learn the voice of God's heart in his story and scripture, it opens our hearts up to hearing his voice in everyday life. And so this is a microcosm. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses has murdered someone of Egypt. He got so angry at how the Egyptians were enslaving the Israelites, the Hebrew people. You know, uh, Egypt's culture and society was being built on the back of, of slaves, the, Hebrew, the, the Israelite people. Something that is tragic about our country that we can relate to in, in many regards. And in Moses, in his fury and his anger in one incident, he murders a man and he tries to cover it up and bury him in the sand. And here we are years later and Moses is wandering in the wilderness. And I don't know how often you find yourself in a wilderness. Maybe your wilderness is a financial one. Maybe it's health related. Maybe it's after a broken marriage. It may be just a relationship or something hurtful with a parent or something from your childhood. I don't know what your wilderness may be, but we often find ourselves in wildernesses where we say, well, God isn't here. In in Scripture, wilderness represented a barren place, a place where there's no life, there's no productivity. It's kind of a depressed place. That's often the symbolism of being in the wilderness. And here we find Moses tending the flock of, his, of, his, uh, of Jethro, his father-in-law. Moses, we think of this iconic man. He's, he's, a, he's a dirty, smelly, because shepherds didn't bathe for weeks on end. He's doing the lowest class system of most societies. He's shepherding sheep out in the wilderness. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. It's interesting, God tells us, this is the far, you ever feel like you're on the far side of the wilderness? It's the last place you'll encounter God, or so we think. But again, if we tune our ears to the voice of God, if we tune our ears to who God actually is and what he's actually saying, we see that it's, it's so often in the wilderness, in the far side of the wilderness, where he calls our name. Where God's voice is waiting to meet you. There, on the far side of the wilderness, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Wildfires were common in wildernesses. But the fact that it wasn't being consumed, this is what God used to get his attention. I don't know what he uses in your day or life right now to get your attention. But God has committed to you so much that he'll... He'll just, he'll, he'll keep trying through a relationship or something that's said. So Moses thought, wow, what is this? I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. And the voice of God says his name, Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Moses doesn't know exactly what's going on. He just knows there's something. (laughs) This is remarkable. This is probably God. So I'm available. I'm listening. Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is the intersection 
of God's space and human space again. And this is what God's strategy is all along. It's the narrative of God's story in Scripture. It is to realign and overlay again, once again, his space with our space. Doesn't look like a fancy church building. This is on the far side of the wilderness where everything's barren and lifeless. This is where God calls your name. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses realizes, wow, this is creator God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This was an act of humility. Like, wow. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people. Now, again, this is the consistent heart of God all through Scripture. It's in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's in Ephesians. That God sees the brokenness of America. He sees our racial and political divisions. He sees parents frustrated and not knowing where to turn. He sees broken relationships and marriages. And he sees this. And God's heart is not to judge us because we're not being churchy enough. The actual voice of God tells us he sees. I've, heard, I've seen the misery and the hurt and the heartache. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down. This is blessing language. This is the God who kneels. You'll never find another world religion. None of the world religions come close to describing a God who comes down. It's always we have to work our way up to him. We have to appease God's wrath or anger. We have to be studious enough. Only the story of Jesus is the story of a God who comes down to us repeatedly, over and over. He comes down to Moses. Now he's coming down to rescue the slaves in Egypt. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land, into a good and spacious land. Again, this is immediately it's going to be the promised land, the land of Canaan. But where God's actually driving humanity is back to the garden, the land of the garden. The new heavens, the new earth. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the home of all these Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the termites. I always throw the termites in there just because it's silly. Silly church pastor joke. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Boy, this changes abruptly. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, now this part goes to pastors like Brad. So now go. Go into Aldi and Ashburn and Centerville and Reston and Middleburg. The voice of God is to you, meeting you in the wilderness. I have something beautiful for you. But the murder, the ugly, my broken marriage, I've sometimes been mad at you. I've, I've made gestures to the sky in my anger at you, God, I know. And I am committed for eternity to blessing you. And so I've come down to offer you the gift of rescue. And we know, we know that it eventually will be the gift of Jesus to rescue humanity. 
And so now go. See, when you learn the voice of God in Scripture, in his story in Scripture, and you hear his voice correctly, it opens you up to the everyday voice of God in your life because you understand God's blessing is never just for me. It never is just for me. Brad, I want to rescue you. Brad, I want to give you hope. Brad, I want to heal your marriage with Amy. You know, so long ago when we went through our... Brad, I want to... He does want to bless you, but never does it remain just for you. Always, God's blessing for you will fill you with so much joy that it will overflow to the people around you. And if you think the voice of God is... He blesses evangelical Christians who vote a certain way. He blesses churches who have our act together while we judge the behavior or identities or decisions of people outside the church. There's a disconnect. It's like closing the door to God's voice again. His blessing to you will always spill over, overflow to the people around you and it is love. It's always, a, it's always a blessing of love. When Steve Pasquale walked through the doors of our church, when my buddy Chris walked through the, and Chris, you know, you've told me you were so cynical. You were like, I'm giving church. It had been 10 years, I think. I'm going to give church one more chance. But I know what I'm going to see. I'm going to see people who judge me. And I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I mean, this is, I'm taking Chris's words. We, I, I didn't, my intent was not to convert them to Jesus. I, I, I'm telling you that is my commitment. That can sound sort of contradictory or yes, I want people to know the wholeness of Jesus. Of course I do. That's my own story. I'm so passionate about people experiencing it. But love doesn't have the agenda. I will relate to you and will decide to do what I've done with my life. That's not love. That's conditional. Love says Dude, you may never choose to follow Jesus, but we're going to be friends and have coffee, and I want to be in your story. And then, because of that love, often it does compel people. Like, wait a minute, you're actually loving me. Okay, so you've heard a lot. We didn't have music today, and it's just been all Brad, so you're probably like, man, when is he going to be quiet? I'm going to be quiet now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this. This is, this is the purpose of our church. We're going to put the statement. I think we have the statement on the screen. We are building a community here. This is, this is what drives us. This is why I come, I get up early uh, in the mornings to pray for you and why so many of you have been fasting this month, a, a form of, of prayer where we give up a craving to crave what God wants. It's because we're building a community here that will embody the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor, because that's what Jesus calls us to, to love our neighbor. I mean, it's the great commandment. For the good of our neighbor and for the renewal of our world, which began with the resurrection. Dead things can come back to life now. Relationships and mistakes and hurts, and it's all reversible now because of the power of Jesus. And that's the community we're building. And this rescue plan that began way back in Exodus, where God reveals his heart, I'm not coming down to judge. I'm coming down, I'm kneeling to present you the gift 
of returning back to me and being part of my life-giving image. So will you, will you join me in this? If you're looking for a perfect church, just, man, this is not going to be it. But if you're looking for a church that's committed to this, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe God has led you here to journey with us. Uh, let us know. Hey, I'd like to be one of those host homes, or I'd like to help do a midweek for spiritual growth, or I'd like to be part of connecting to the community through pickleball or through movie nights or film festivals or parenting workshops or whatever, whatever that looks like. Let us know. We'd love to have coffee with you and talk with you. And would you consider financially investing here? When you say, well, investment, there's no return. Yeah, there is. It's the greatest return. It's the greatest return to invest in being a church that believes the church is the hope of the world. God, we give you these words today. Please, God, uh, I, I so easily could have left out something or confused something today. Please somehow use my words to, to really communicate your voice, your dream, your passion, what you are busy doing. And when so many Americans look at the church today and they see politics and they see division and they see judgmentalism, May we not be seen as perfect, but may people in our neighborhoods and communities see us and, and be drawn to something so real that's happened in us because you, Jesus, are the one making us whole. May we be willing to sometimes stop our music or shorten our messages and have chili together and dinners and meet at wineries for the sake of getting to know our neighbor because this is what you did. We love you, Jesus, and in all the great stories that will continue to emerge here, we promise our commitment is to give you the honor, to give you the credit, and to give you the praise for you working through us. 